now you're all very welcome back. Emily Kenway became her late mother's primary carer at the age of 31. She writes about her experience and that of others in her book called Who Cares? The Hidden Crisis of Caregiving and How We Solve It. And she joins us this morning from BBC in London. Emily, good morning to you. Good morning, Oliver. And thank you very much for coming on to share this story with us. That was a young age to become a carer for your mum. Can you tell us about the circumstances under which you pretty much became your, your mother's sole carer? Yeah, so I mean, lots of people do end up becoming carers when they're a bit younger, but you're right, it is normally sort of age 45 and up. So my mum was single, um, so there wasn't a kind of partner in her life that would have perhaps uh, filled that role. And she also, I have an older sister, but she had two small children. Uh, and my mum's siblings uh, didn't live in London where where I lived at that time. Uh, and so they did help Um but I was the kind of main person, the default person through the years that she was sick, sometimes uh, requiring extremely intensive support and sometimes less so, but especially towards the end. I mean, your mother, she went through an incredibly, it was an incredibly difficult and painful illness. And if you don't mind explaining a little bit about that, because it gives Mm. us maybe an overview of your typical day and night, because it's it's, it's all all hours of the clock, aren't they? It is, yeah. And I'm so glad that you said day and night, because people often don't realise this. But lots of conditions and illnesses really require kind of round-the-clock support or kind of vigilance, you know, because things can change. So my mum had uh, leukaemia and lymphoma, so blood cancers, Mm -hmm. um, and also had a kind of whole load of other things go wrong during that time. So she had a lot of chemotherapy, and that causes lots of other kinds of symptoms. She also had a stem cell transplant, which her body tried to reject. Mm -hmm. So um, it wasn't just the cancer, or even in some ways it wasn't the cancer, you know, it was was the treatments as well that made her increasingly debilitated, distressed, um, and in, in very much in discomfort. And so, you know, I always say, everyone's caring experience is to some extent different, but I think a lot of us will say that there wasn't a kind of typical day that much of the time because these things change so much. You know, you don't ever know, is this going to be a good day or a bad day? Is this going to be a day where she's beset by kind of vomiting and constant nausea or is she actually going to manage to eat like two spoonfuls of shreddies and that's going to be, you know, a great success. So, I mean, our days involved, of course, me, you know, washing her. She loved to have her teeth clean, even if she couldn't get her body washed. That felt really important for her dignity, maybe some physio, trying to help her take in some nutrition, endless hospital visits and just, you know, the kind of waiting around that comes with that, which is actually incredibly stressful when someone's really unwell. It's not an easy thing for them to um, do a journey and then wait for an appointment. Uh, My mum was also incontinent and this is not something that gets talked about a lot. No, It's actually really common. um, And that added to, of course, all of this. And uh, I mean, this is the, literally the thing that all of us are afraid to talk about, aren't they? And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's very important for carers. They will know this world, but the, the physical nature and the hygiene and everything around caring for a person who you know so well and having to do so, so intimately. Yes. And honestly, we have to change this. Um, in Ireland, one in seven older adults have urinary incontinence today. And it will be higher than that, right? Because a lot of people just never disclose it. They hide it because it's it's so shameful in our culture. And it's doing 
everyone a disservice. You know, I used to be part of a carer support group that met online, which was really helpful. And one of the things we would end up having to kind of support each other with and give advice for was how you deal with not the incontinence itself although that can be quite tricky because if someone is physically unable to move changing their incontinence where is actually quite hard but actually how do you help someone not feel ashamed of being incontinent you know and we just don't have any literacy as a culture around that at all and it creates such a difficult situation for the caregiver and for the care receiver. What do you think we can do about that? I mean, part of me just thinks we need to grow up, to be honest with you. Like we we have this idea about ourselves that we're kind of above nature, Mm -hmm. right? And we're very uncomfortable with the idea that we are, you know, fundamentally we're animals. Yes, we have, you know, all of these other facets, but our bodies do break down and we need to find a way to... Um, accept that and talk about it one of the things I talk about in my book as well is trying to um, like sensitize people to these facts to the fact that you'll probably need to care for someone you love at some point mm-hmm. when they're much younger so um, it's not talked about very often but there are lots of children who actually perform these kinds of caring roles um, in the UK which is the the stat I know um, there are around 800,000 according to some estimates so they're, they're often helping with like siblings or with parents who've got um, a condition of some sort And of course, children also experience bereavements, right? Like my nieces saw their grandma, my mum pass away. And we don't ever get taught at school about any of these things that are going to happen, that if we did have that put into, you know, citizenship, relationship education, sex education, you know, just the education of what will happen as someone in a body, then that would help us to start to put it into our culture better in the future. Mm-hmm. I think I totally agree with you and I know where you're coming from there. Um, in the in the relationship that you're having with your mum and you're taking care of her in this way and mm. uh, it's taking over your life, it's obviously, this is her existence as well. What does that do to the relationship between you as a daughter and her as your mum? Yeah, um, so... I experienced what um, is is really common and I kind of only realised was common when I started doing the research for the book, which is a kind of flip of the relationship. So you start to find yourself kind of um, taking on more of a traditional parenting role for your parent and it creates a kind of um, dissonance in your mind it's it's I mean I guess if I'd been older maybe I'd have had a kind of slower run into that and expected yeah. it more mm-hmm. but it is quite a shocking reversal of roles and kind of uncomfortable for everyone involved because we don't have a way of thinking about it you know so and then of course um one of the an, another thing people don't talk about but is so prevalent amongst carers is that you know caring for someone is really difficult right and the person who needs care is often very unhappy very upset doesn't want to feel like they're a dependent and so of course it creates kind of irritabilities and irritations that as the carer you try to not show because you you know you love that person yeah. but it puts this huge mental pressure on you mm. to kind of hold it together in the face of all of these things 
I think it's a, it's amazing, particularly when you're describing and people asking you um, what what do you mean when you're writing about caregivers and they're <laughs> assuming the the professions, aren't they? The medical professions, and, and I'm amazed by the just the description of the individual who's no longer sure they're an individual, but has become an accessory to someone else's needs. This is the life of a carer. Yes, yes, and um, it's one of my kind of most anger-inducing things that when people assume that most care is carried out by paid care workers, actually adult social care workers, there are far fewer of them than family carers. In Ireland, there are about 500,000 family carers, probably more because people often don't um, like recognise themselves to be such. Yeah. That's about 10% of your population. Hmm. So we're really talking about something that um, is affecting a lot of people and importantly is going to affect way more people in the future. Um, and obviously it's like a natural part of loving someone. I'm not suggesting we should kind of pathologize it and be, you know, it's it's a normal part of being a wife or a mom or a daughter and <laughs> women are the main ones who do it. But we do need to kind of bring it into the light so we can provide more support. You, you said most carers are women. And uh, mm. I mean, there are women who are who have careers and jobs going on in the background. Yes, yes. A huge uh, proportion of carers are also juggling paid employment and trying to do both these things at once, sometimes also having children, you know, whilst caring for a parent with dementia or who's had a stroke or whatever. Um, And it's this immensely stressful um, kind of life wrecking situation in a way. And it does fall much more heavily on women. There are men, of course, who are carers, but that's usually because... Uh, there isn't a kind of woman who would be the default to do it around. So if, for example, my mum had had two boys instead of two girls, then maybe she would have had a a man caring for her. Um, But it is usually women and it's this kind of assumption that it's more natural for women and that um, women are just kind of okay with it. You went on a hike a couple of years ago and this uh, idea of it all, just the responsibility falling on women, um, became very stark with the people you were chatting to. Yes. So I um, did a I really like long distance hiking and I did the coast to coast, which goes from one side of England to the other for 11 days. And I met some uh, men there kind of in their 60s who were also doing it. And, um, you know, as we you get to know people, you pass them on different days. And I was yeah. like, oh, where's your wife? And a couple of them said to me, oh, well, she's back home caring for um, for for. Uh, my mother and I would clarify like sorry do you mean her mother and they'd say no my mother so their wife couldn't go on this you know experience of a lifetime because she was busy caring for the husband's mother while they were out doing this incredible thing <laughs> that's extraordinary and it is just um that that idea and there's the, it's just all about the shame and stigma isn't it about the maybe the hygiene issues and the, the extremely intimate care that's required Yeah, and also um, purely the fact of being needy, right? We have this um, kind of widespread cultural obsession in lots of the world today um, that it is, you know, it's a bad thing to need help, to have to ask for support. Uh, We're obsessed with kind of feeling invulnerable and almost like godlike, right? And the reality is we need to understand that being needy is part of the human condition. We're all needy and capable, as one philosopher has said, and I think that's a much more helpful way to think about the world. And people who need care obviously have things to give as well, right? Um, So it's trying to change how we think about 
needing support from a kind of negative thing to a normal thing. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about the emotional toll then of being the mm. actual carer. And there's something called caregiver stress syndrome. Yes, so this is an American term. They love coining terms for things. Um, But I have to say, as much as I kind of laugh at that, I actually found it so helpful to discover this um, because for me it was like a checklist of things that I had gone through that I hadn't seen anywhere kind of articulate. So um, essentially it's a way of saying there is this huge emotional, mental and physical toll on carers. So carers are more likely to have depression and anxiety, more likely to have heart disease and diabetes. Carers have higher mortality rates and there is a lot of suicidalism among carers. So this syndrome is basically, you know, if if you're experiencing it, then you're probably feeling really hopeless about life, about your life. You might be having problems with sleep and with appetite. You probably get ill a lot. Um, And you might also be having feelings of wanting to hurt yourself or the person for whom you're caring. And that's a, you know, a horrific place to be. And it doesn't have to be that way. There are obviously loads of positive aspects of caring for someone, but under the current conditions, the pressure is so severe that it pushes people into this you know horrific experience it's an unwinnable war isn't it tell us about your what happened to your own job your career and your relationships outside of um obviously your relationship with your mum um so i have like a typical carer story really um i worked full time when she first got sick and then i slowly reduced from five days to four from four days to three and i eventually gave up my job entirely um in the sort of final part of her being terminally ill Mm. and so with that of course i lost income you know stretching over years um i lost a career pathway really in in a lot of ways and um also just the years of trying to work and care at the same time took a huge toll on my physical health Mm -hmm. as well um you know it's taken me you know since she died to start kind of rebuilding my health and and wellness um and I was in a a romantic relationship for uh, the first couple of years of her being sick that broke down which um I really ascribe to the kind of situation I was living in because Yes, you've got all these practical tasks that I'm describing to a greater and lesser degree, depending on how she was, at, you know, in any week. But the 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 psychological and emotional experience, you're kind of constantly anxious, right? Anything could happen at any time. So you're kind of hyper vigilant. You're waiting. If you're away from her, you're waiting for that text or that call where she's having a kind of uh, situation that means you've got to go to hospital really quickly. Like everything is always on high alert. Yeah. And it makes it very difficult to... To, to kind of navigate romantic and social spaces in the way that everyone else seems to be doing. And actually, um, you know, I was shocked during the research for the book to find how common ro- romantic relationship breakdown, marital relationship breakdown is when someone's caring. Something, um, you know, in amongst baby boomers, so a bit older than us, um, it's, it's a really um, substantial percentage of divorces that are ascribed to having to care for a parent, an older parent. Um, so, so, you know, it's a, it's a kind of very important 
factor in how our society is is failing people. Yeah, it's a huge, all-encompassing uh, thing on, on your life. And you wrote this book, Who Cares? Uh, because you don't feel society is accommodating or supporting carers. And I think we hear that message uh, loud and clear, Emily Kenway. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Thank you very much for sharing it. I often wonder what the world would be like if one day we woke up and women like you, and it is mostly women, uh, suddenly we were just without them and they just weren't available to do the caring. So uh, thanks, Emily, for sharing your story. Emily Kenway, uh, good morning and take care. Thank you.